Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Testing begins. Testing of what? The reality bomb. Planets and stars will become dust, and the dust will become atoms, and the atoms will become nothing. This is my ultimate victory, Doctor. The destruction of reality itself! Welcome to the Colton Collective Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Dave A.C. and The Sixth Doctor. And hello everyone, this is Dave AC in the chair, uh, we're without uh, Ian, yes, we've uh, not banished him because he's evil, he's not missing it for that reason, it's because he is indispensable, yes, he's uh, doing his lovely work today, so uh, wish him well with that, uh, the um, dress rehearsals and whatever have gone well, and I think the first uh, two or three shows are being highly successful, so well done to him and his players. So that's me, Dave AC, in the room. So expect the odd deliberate mistake. Remember uh, to hold that uh, little uh, paddle up with the question mark on if nobody knows the answer. Yes, that's a QI joke for those who don't know. And let me introduce those people that are in the room. And I'm going to introduce them as they are on microphone on my listing. And number one at the top on mine is... uh, Mark, resident alien, back after some time. Hi, Dave. Yeah, sorry, it's uh, not always easy to get in on a Sunday afternoon, but it's nice to be back and say hello to everyone. Good, good. And uh, hopefully, you're not your evil twin. No, it's the uh, it's the uh, it's the real resident alien. Oh, good, good, good. And uh, we've now got to also on audio, uh, uh, Jeff, Seventh Doctor. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Dave. Uh, here from foggy Arizona. I'm wondering what evil is lurking in the fog. Oh, dear. That's, uh, perhaps the Hound of the Baskervilles. Look, never mind. We will see. That uh, could be. Uh, uh, we've also got T. Jury. Tim. Hi, Tim. Hello oh, there, Dave. Good. We've had a good uh, little bit of a chat before the show began, but um, we will march on with the program now and uh, helping me today particularly in uh, watching the chat room for me uh, as well is uh, the third member of our uh, commentary team and that's Mike Mike Randall Thor hi Mike hello and I have a goatee so I am my evil opposite <laughs> oh dear so dear Star dear Trek mirror universe 
<laughs> I was going to play that sometime, yes. <laughs> and we've got uh, a new caller in, uh, although he's not, not new to talk to you. He's on many calls, particularly the media outsiders, and that is Cool Guy. Hi, Cool Guy. Hey there. I, well, as Dave said, I'm relatively new. I never have been truly wanting to come on this show, but I just figured there's nothing else really to do on a Sunday afternoon, so might as well just check it out, and hopefully uh, I'll have something to contribute to the show that um, just here, you know, kind of in oh, the yeah. foreground. Yes, we can't claim much fame here, but we can claim it's slightly better than doing nothing. So, yeah, <laughs> well. yes, yes, yes. Okay, so with that ringing endorsement of the Coltham Collective that nobody can afford to miss, let's find out who's with us, but under the cone of silence. Controls, new agent training program, section 3.5, the cone of silence. To activate, simply lower the cone and speak clearly. What? Do not overuse the cone of silence. What? Do not shout in the cone of silence. What? In fact, don't even use the cone of silence. What? It's never worked right. I don't know why we bought it in the first place. The portable cone of silence. What? And under the comb, we've got Darth, Darth Skeptical, who hopefully may well join us on audio later on. And we've also got Cybob, welcome, uh, good regular to the show, and guest number 10. Okay, well, we have uh, only two people with uh, news in here. And since uh, oh, we better play the typing monkey first. Go, typing monkey, go. And that's because Charlie P79 is not here to render those immortal words. We're missing you, Charlie. Um, so um, let's go to um, Jeff first, because then uh, we can go to Tim afterwards, and we've got a clip to play uh, following Tim's news. So, uh, Jeff, uh, I know it's a little brief news, but important nonetheless. Uh, yes. Uh, for those people that watch Doctor Who in the United States, uh, BBC America has confirmed that they will air the Christmas special, The Doctor, The Widow, and The Wardrobe, on Christmas Day at 9 p.m. Eastern. Yeah. I was, I was looking on the uh, Doctor Who news site there. Uh, they've actually put up some, uh, I think there's some PDFs that kids can download uh, of about three or four little Christmas card things that they can print out and make Christmas cards, you know, non-commercially, to send to their friends. It was a nice little touch, I thought. Okay. Uh, they uh, also, well, they, they yeah. also have a contest going on. Um, I don't remember the exact details, but if you go to BBC America's website, uh, you can enter a contest, and the prize, if I recall correctly, is uh, the DVD version of last year's Christmas uh, episode. Right. Right. Good. Uh, and I should just say at this point, um, hopefully watch out that when um, we're getting into the uh, Christmas period, watch out for some um, specials coming from the Coltham Collective. As usual, last year we did um, some of the Christmas specials. Uh, this year we're doing some of the other Doc 2 specials, but you'll have to wait and see what they are, which they are, and um, that will come into your uh, iTunes box over the weeks leading up into Christmas. Okay, let's go to Tim and his items of news. Uh, well, 
further to um, a recent show of this parish, as we say. Um, more news uh, emerged this week uh, from what uh, good old-fashioned official sources for once on the subject of a Doctor Who uh, movie in people's local cinemas. And Stephen Moffat, no less, is clearly fed up with the rumours. Because he, I can't remember the exact wording of this, but he, he put a tweet on Twitter earlier this week, and uh, the lo- the the rough and ready uh, memory I have of it, it, what it said was on the subject of a Doctor Who movie. To clarify things, if a Doctor Who movie is made, it will be made by the current Doctor Who production team and star whoever the current Doctor is which is a wonderfully vague piece of wording. It doesn't mean it's Matt Smith. It presumably means it's someone who Moffitt or whoever's after Moffitt picks for the role. But I think it's basically the BBC saying, we own this Doctor Who thing, and David Yates might direct said movie, but we own this thing. So... I think it it certainly puts the kibosh on the previous quote from Yates that the thing would be radically reworked and so different to the TV show because if it's going to be made by the TV team that's not going to be the case. So we, we may have a situation where they may be wanting to make a movie to cash in on, say, the 50th anniversary if that's true, that they'll have to get their skates on, because that's now only a couple of years away. And they might simply go down the route of what happened with Star Trek The Next Generation, where, uh, admittedly in that case, it was a TV show already shot on 35mm film, but presumably, instead of shooting on HD video, they jump up to 35mm film... Uh, instead of just shooting in the UK mostly, they might secure enough funding for some exciting foreign locations to give it that big screen feel uh, as we had with the, the season opening episodes this year. But, oh, I've just spent two minutes speculating, so let's get on with something else that's actually factual. And, well, uh, uh, well for the... Let me just mention one thing, because it fits in with that. Uh, just to say that Podshock has got our episode... 261 now and that had the second life meetup panel where it was talking about speculation about this upcoming possible new Doctor Who movie so um, if, if you're interested in you know the, the the worries that quite a lot of Doctor Who fans have about that um, and, and, and more, 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 more interesting more wild speculation and creative thought about what they'd do if someone handed them the rights and they could go off and do it uh, but but anyway, to, to to get back to stuff that's that's hot off the press, uh, the uh, Save Doctor Who confidential campaign on uh, Twitter have been telling all and sundry that follow them uh, that Zai Bennett, controller of uh, BBC Three, the new controller of BBC Three, uh, was interviewed by Points of View, uh, who are a feedback program on BBC One, who have been on for over thirty years now. Uh, and that they would have an interview special with him on this Sunday to finish off their current series. And so they put several tweets out today reminding everybody that this was on, so I made sure I set my video in case 
some of the subject to talk to confidential came up and then it would be easy enough to lift the clip and uh, so I have indeed lifted the clip and I, I sent it to Dave and um, well it's not good news and I think it speaks for itself so we're going to play the clip Dave here we go yeah I'd like to start, if I can, with your decision to end Doctor Who Confidential. Being a viewer of Doctor Who Confidential made me realise how much I wanted to go into TV production as a career. I've recently begun a course. I hope you take into account the efforts we're all putting in to try to save something we love. Well, uh, Doctor Who Confidential was a brilliant series that we made six series of. Uh, and it's a, it's a show about the making of another show, Doctor Who. And there are only so many ways of t explaining how a show is made. Uh, and in these straightened times, when BBC Three is actually cutting its budget, we have to prioritise different show the shows that we think are most important to our viewers. Doctor Who Confidential was a great show, but um, after six series, we think that it had a very good go at explaining how to make Doctor Who. There have been insider claims that a Doctor Who Confidential Christmas special is filmed and ready to transmit. Can Zai confirm if this is true or false? I think it would be amazing for points of view to be able to clear this up. There were some reports that there was one sitting on a shelf. That's absolute nonsense. There is no finished programme sitting on a shelf. That show, however, was made for lots of different people, so for DVD and for BBC Worldwide, and there was some footage which was about 10 minutes which will end up going online, but it's definitely not a finished show. Okay, anything to add to that then, Tim? Uh, well, other than that literally was it. <laughs> The, the, the way that this interview was hyped, I, th I thought, that, ah, well, they'll obviously plonk all the comments on him and make sure that he knows that this is a major issue. And in the end, they used two viewer comments. And to be fair, uh, it was probably more than most programmes on BBC Three got. But at the same time, he seemed to be kind of in denial that this is a popular programme and does have a regular audience of usually over half a million, isn't it, Dave? I would think so. Yeah, now and again it, it hits a million, and there are commercial channels in this country that would take off an arm or leg or something if someone said, you could have a million viewers every week for that programme. They'd, they'd have advertisers rushing to their door, but uh, this is the BBC, and they kind of do what they like. It gets very frustrating. And... Um, it's it's a bit like sometimes when you talk to your local MB, MP and it's a bit like shouting at a wall. You can you can shout at them all you like and they'll just come back and say, oh, well, there's nothing we can do about that. Yeah, but fair dues though. I mean, here's this is very different than the situation we got for Doctor Who back in 1990. This is a direct question to a a, a, a series a, a channel controller, and he takes the question. He answers it absolutely forthrightly and without any ambiguity. This show is cancelled. We've done what we wanted to achieve with it. We can't tell the story any more times than we've already told it, which is basically true because anybody who watched Series 6 would say they were scraping the bottom of the barrel in a lot of episodes. Oh, trying to oh find yes, uh, I'd, cer I'd certainly agree with you that the, 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 the rot had set in, the, the shark... May not have fully jumped, but he he may well have also may well certainly have been out of the swimming pool. And when you tune in at 7:45 at night and you see Karen Gillan whizzing a car around a track, you start to think this program's got too much budget and too much time slot, and really doesn't know what to do with itself anymore. Well, exactly right. I mean, at least you know this is a, a very different situation in my mind to what it was back in. 
you know, the original cancellation of Doctor Who, or even the hiatus cancellation in, in 68, I mean, in 86. Um, because, again, you got the BBC actually saying, it is done, these are the reasons why, thank you for your questions, we're glad that you enjoy the show, but it's over, and we're going to do other things with our money. And frankly, I, I mean, that's great that they were even willing to come online and, you know, sit in front of a camera, stare into the lens, and say, we're done. Okay. Right. Uh, thanks for that. Uh, Mike's just... Uh, oh, Willis Girl has joined us in the room. Uh, great, Willis Girl. Uh, and Mike uh, just had a, a little bit of audio problems, got back in. I had asked him to read something in chat, but um, I think I better just read it now because he may not know which one I'm referring to. And that was really that uh, Jeff, Resident Alien, had actually put in text in the room um, the, the what must I suppose was the second tweet that um, Stephen Moffat had done about this uh, movie thing. Um, David Yates, a great director, was speaking off the cuff on a red carpet. You've seen the rubbish I taught when I'm cornered. So um, anything else to add to that, Jeff? Do you mean Mark? Yeah. <laughs> oh, was it Mark? Um, oh, sorry, Mark. It is Mark, uh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, I, I don't. I just thought it was interesting that that tweet because it um, to me it kind of in in some respects it it, it tells me it tells you something um, it tells you something about the David Yates involvement. There clearly are you know talks going on with the guy and Moffat's just a bit annoyed that that Yates has gone and spilled the beans. That's really what, the way I look at it. You know, I mean maybe I'm overreading it, but you know he's saying look oh, he's talking some rubbish when he's been cornered. Well, you know if he's he's not said. He's not, he's not denied or anything like that, do you know what I mean? It's one of those Moffat things where he's saying he's let the cat out of the bag. You know, like earlier on with the 14 new episodes, and then, you know, it's like, oh, look, hush, shut up, you know, that kind of thing. He's, he wants to manage, you know, he's a bit, I think Moffat's sometimes a bit new labour. You know, he wants to sort of manage the news. He wants to kind of spin it. But the problem is in the age of Twitter, it's difficult to manage Doctor Who news, you know. But I thought it was an interesting little tweet that was on. Okay, right. Um, well, um, we're going to go on to the topic in a moment, but um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to drop into the chat room some of the links of some of the places which people might want to check out for inspiration, uh, and then I'll introduce uh, the topic myself. But before I do that, let's find out from Andy how to join in the show. If you enjoy listening, why not join the collective and participate yourself? We're on TalkShoot. Call ID 54821. Call in on 724-444-7444. This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192. Or you can connect in directly via the Shoe phone client if you have TalkShoot Live installed. Looking forward to hearing you. Okay, well, I haven't quite finished putting those links in, but I will do. So let me just say for everybody in the room and for those listening to the recording later, um, the topic, of course, we try to pick topics that have a a sort of catchy ring to them, uh, hook people into the show. And so the what was seemed to be a catchy title for this one was um, If You Were To Go Evil. But we're not talking about you wanting to suddenly become a Unibomber or uh, any real-life, uh, uh, you know, Adam West or whatever it is, uh, depending on your local uh, 
evil people. Uh, we're talking about evil as portrayed in literature, uh, TV series, movies, children's TV, cartoons, whatever. And um, although you may want to uh, let go the the dark side a little bit, uh, mainly I'm assuming that we're going to be talking about uh, the actual villains in these things. Actors often say that uh, you know the really juicy roles are the um, uh, the person who is the the villain of the piece, as it were. Uh, now, what I'm going to do is uh, say to people when you when we go around the room is that um, you can initially just pick out one person and perhaps wax lyrical about why that person you have some empathy with their mind. Perhaps it, you feel as though their vill villainy is justified in something that was perpetrated in their past. Uh, think of the penguin from Batman. You might think uh, what happened to him in childhood was what warped his mind. And really, other than that, he would have been... Um, you know, an ordinary sort of a guy. Uh, but uh, just a sense that, um, you know, it could be a criminal evil, uh, an evil genius, a historical uh, evil person, uh, historical literature I'm talking about again, from the horror genre, from sci-fi, from fantasy, um, from cartoon, from kids' TV, and indeed, of course, from Doctor Who. As you heard when I opened the show with the Cultrum uh, intro, using, of course, Davros as an example. So uh, there we are. And I'm going to direct us firstly, I think, to um, this uh, little uh, list. Where has it gone there? There we are. It's actually from a Google Answers um, question. Um, hopefully people can see that without having to be in uh, the Google one. I'll re-put that one in. Uh, and I will quickly read this list just to give an idea of the sheer range uh, of evil characters that have been um, on screen or whatever. And I'm just going to read these 30 very quickly. And then just so that they are forewarned, um, I'll go to uh, Jeff and then uh, Tim. So uh, you two get your blinds in gear. And here's the list. Uh, one, Brainiac from Superman. Two, Boris Badendo, is it? And Natasha Fatal in Rockin' Bullworkin. Charles Montgomery Burns, The Simpsons. Cobra Commander, G.I. Joe. Cruella Deville, 101 Dalmatians. Doctor Doom, The Fantastic Four. Doctor Octopus, Spider-Man. Elmira, Pinky in the Brain. Galacticus, Fantastic Four. Gar Garamel, the Smurfs, bit of an unusual list this, Green Goblin, Spider-Man, The Grinch, uh, Jafar from Aladdin, Joker from Batman, Lex Luthor from Superman, Magneto X-Men, uh, Mandark, Dexter's Laboratory, Megatron 1, Galvatron the Transformers, uh, Mojo Jojo, Powderpuff Girls, blimey, I think Mike have a few to say about these, Mum from Futurama, uh, Mumra from Thundercats, Penguin from Batman, Poison Ivy, Batman and Robin, Riddler from Batman, Shredder from um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Skeletor from He-Man, Stewie, Family Guy, Ursula, the Little Mermaid, Vegja, is that? Dragon Ball Z, Willie E. Coyote from Looney Tunes. And uh, let me see if I can attribute that little list, um, and um, it's by 
Nena GA, a Google researcher. Okay, so uh, there you go, uh, Seventh Doctor Jeff. You don't need to take any of those on board. It's just to show you just how far-reaching evil reaches. You there, Jeff? Well, I'm giving you the big... We don't want evil silence. <laughs> he mocks me with his silence. Well, Tim, we'll have to go to... No, we're not hearing you. Uh, we're not hearing you. Uh, can we go to Tim then, and we'll come back to you if you can get your audio sorted out. Sorry, Tim. Uh, oh, hello, Dave. Um, yep, we got you. Don't, yep. don't, don't, don't quite know where to start with this subject. Um, and I did certainly didn't know where to start when it was announced um, last week. But um, certainly on the subject of special powers uh, you'd have, uh, which was a... I think it may have been a show we did a few weeks back. Um, I would urge everyone to watch a show that's um, started. I forget which US network's screening it, but there's a, a show called Alphas that has a, a good solid set of special powers in it. And um, there's a girl on Alphas who has a special power called Pushing, where most of the time she just looks like this perfectly... Uh, normal glamorous young woman and then if someone comes up to her and say she's parked on a double yellow line she could look look them dead in the eye and say I haven't parked on a double yellow line I haven't parked on a double yellow line and they'll go oh my mistake <laughs> and she can just drive off and she can do this in way more serious situations than that and uh, she gets accused by her colleagues on the Alphas team of like pushing uh, her way into situations even when she hasn't at times and there was a good joke ending on uh, uh, this week's episode of Alphas uh, where someone had uh, mysteriously sent them uh, a coffee making machine with no buttons on and no instructions and they were how, how do we get this thing to work and she looked at it and she put a, a cup underneath it and she kind of did her fluence on it mentally and said a uh, uh, double mo mocha with, with milk and suddenly went and made it the coffee <laughs> and they were all did you push that coffee machine? but um, yeah uh, certainly as a starting point if, if, if there is an ideal superpower it's possibly the power to persuade anyone to your will because you could live life with no money at all, really. You could walk into shops and pick all that food up that you need to eat next week. And when someone says, the alarm's just gone off, you're walking out the f here, I can't let you do that. I'm taking you to the manager's office. You look him in the eye and you say, you're not taking me to the manager's office. I'm walking out the, the shop right now. And they'll go, oh, my mistake. <laughs> well, of course, that's a case in point of the power not being evil in as much as... Uh, you can argue that Obi-Wan Kenobi uses this, yeah, Obi-Wan Kenobi would say, you know, uh, move along, well, there's nothing here, if, and all if, that kind of stuff. If, if, you and Ian, if you and Ian had it, you, you could get, go to any galley you want, because you could just uh, go to the airport, and, and they'd say, oh, you, you don't have a ticket, sir. You'd look them in the eye and say, I do have a ticket, you've just seen it. They'd let you on the plane, and then you'd get to the hotel, and they'd say, there's no booking reservation for you here. 
And you look them in the eye and say, I have booked and paid for five nights. And they, they say, oh, my mistake, sir, it's right here on my computer. <laughs> I must admit, it would be uh, wonderful. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a mild-mannered evil empire takes over the world. I mean, yeah, you've not got greater horizons than that. Well, it, it, <laughs> it's your very evilness. telling that the writer that came up with the show, Alphas, gave this power to a woman. And uh-huh. the, the, the men on the show have powers in some ways more appropriate to them. Look, like uh, one of them has got some level of super strength slash ability, and he's a bit like uh, a sort of free runner, sort of parkour type person. And if they need to get in some window that's three stories up and that's locked, he can just ha- climb up a building almost like Spider Man. And a, kind of the most interesting character on the show is a guy called Charlie, who's uh, only about 20 years old. And he's still living with his mum because he's kind of uh, in his in a world of his own. He's kind of sort of I can't remember exactly what mental illness he has. It's a level of sort of autism, but his special power is really weird and freakily freaky because he can see, control, and access electromagnetic waves. So if the baddie of the week. Uh, is using some computer network 50 miles away, uh, they don't have to sit there on a computer and break through the password. They just say, oh, Charlie, what are they up to? And you get all these weird CGI graphics, and, and it's how he sees the world. And he can just sort of reach out and like flick them around, uh, like you flick um, data around a, a, an, an iPad screen. And it, it's it's remarkable to watch. And it, Goodness knows how the writer came up with that power, because it, it's it's a bit left field the actual idea. But um, right, and they also do guest baddies of the week on that show, or guest sort of semi baddies. And the the one on this week's show, it was a little unclear what her power is exactly, but it's she's like a member of the A team. You know, there's those episodes of the A-Team where they get cornered in some barn on a farm and all the baddies are outside with loads of guns and all they've got is the tractor and an old combine harvester half broken down and in ten minutes uh, BA and Face have built something that can like obliterate the baddies or at least make them run off. And she had that kind of power because she like built machines that could like mentally freak people out or give them fits just out of what you could find in an ordinary office okay um well i mean we'll, we'll go fairly quickly around the room we'll, we'll certainly come back to people um and uh, let's just check the seventh doctor's audio one second uh, jeff are you back can you hear me yes we can indeed oh good oh good um, the one that I wanted to mention was uh, from a show um, called Farscape. Uh, ran here in the United States on the Sci-Fi Channel, and the, the character of Scorpius was very interesting. He was uh, uh, he was kind of a mixed breed, uh, half um, Sebastian and half uh, uh, what was the uh, the Scarin. And uh, he was raised by Scarens, and he, he just kind of grew up um, being, you know, the 
the the person looked down upon. He wasn't true Scarin, and uh, he he grew to hate the Scarins, and so he joined his his other half, uh, the Sebations, who were known as the Peacekeepers, and uh, I, he he kind of was did things in a underhanded way in a lot of a lot of times, um, in an evil kind of way, but but you could understand why he was doing these things uh because he hated his uh scarin side of himself and the scarin race in general and uh so it was just understandable why he was doing what he was doing and uh the two races were in conflict with each other so there was a natural um uh, uh conflict going on between between the two races and uh Eventually, the main character, John Crichton, comes along. He's a human, and uh, he has this wormhole technology that's locked up in his brain. Uh, John doesn't understand it completely, but uh, Scorpius thinks that he can win the war against the Scarens by unlocking this uh, wormhole technology that's in John's brain. And, uh, and so he pursues John all across space trying to capture him and get this uh, knowledge out of him and he's just a very interesting character and uh, one that i've always liked as kind of a, the evil um character yeah i mean the, the, the in the topic i mean we 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 try and approach these as loosely as we can uh, obviously there are the the villains that people actually admire enjoy watching see think that they've got a more complex personality and actually bring an awful lot to whichever uh, story or whatever it is they're in uh, it may indeed be the fact that you if you were to actually have an acting career or whatever that would be the person that you would most like to portray uh, so there are lots of different areas and directions that you will come from i've got those other lists that we will go i've got quite a lot of clips here which um i will drop in um uh, maybe if they get referenced, maybe the ones I've got are not referencing the ones that people have yet mentioned, but I will drop them in as and when we go. So if if we can go to uh, Mike, Mike Randall Thought, and then on to Mark. We're just going around the room first, just to to find out where people are seeing the topic, really. So, Mike. Hmm. I've been thinking about this, and one villain in particular that comes to mind is a central villain from an anime series that I'm a fan of, an anime that started back in 2004 and is still going, a series called Bleach. And uh, there's the, the central villain of that is a rather interesting character. It's an int a character called uh, named Sasuke Aizen. And uh, at first, he just seems to be just a uh, not that threatening a villain. He's just sort of a, a scholarly character wandering around the, the Soul Society. Not that... Not that threatening. It's later on in the series when we get a couple story arcs in that he, he suddenly revealed to be, you know, the, the main central villain, and he suddenly takes takes control of the you know the, the whole society there, and uh, it, and proves to be the, far more powerful than anyone thought. But the, the interesting thing about him is, you know, it goes back to my whole argument of what makes a villain memorable, and it's like a, there has to be. There has to be a lot more to the villain beyond. Oh, look! They're just trying to take control. They're just trying to uh, be evil just for evil's sake. There, there's actually a lot of backstory for that character, and uh, we see that uh, his whole method and how how far back in the story his 
methods of trying to become a villain, trying to take over, actually actually are, and it goes back even beyond when the series began, as far as, you know, episode one. But, uh, yeah, Sasuke Eisen is one of my favorite villains, of course. There's, um, you know, of course, my namesake, the Randall Thor, could go over to the Will of Time and pick up villains from that series, like, you know, the, the Forsaken and even the Dark One himself. But, uh, basically, uh, my opening statement here is basically just, you know, what makes a villain memorable? Memorable has to be like a three-dimensional character. It has to be more than just, oh, look, I'm just going to destroy things. And uh, and I could throw in more examples from video games that I've played, played like Ganon and uh, Ridley and so on and so forth, from Zelda and Metroid, respectively. But, yeah, that's what I'll say here at the start. Okay. And uh, I should just say that, I mean, obviously, that uh, you said that you like villains with a more complex character and so on. But it's amazing uh, that how, how many villains are in children's cartoons and children's TV series. I've just put a link up there to one of the pages I had. Uh, we'll be going to Mark in a moment, but um, just let me, this is a quite short list and it just might prompt again some people because when you're a young person watching these things uh, they may not appear to you as being simplistic but they they do have the power of of you uh, confronting them as it were uh, at an early age an impressionable age so uh, this list that i'm uh, reading from for those on the audio later is um, listverse.com forward slash 2009 forward slash 06 forward slash 09 top 10 most evil disney villains so if you look if you go to google and put listverse and then top 10 most evil disney villains you'll get them and we've got them in uh, uh, ascending order at 10 stromboli from pinocchio at 9 cruella deville from 101 dalmatians 8 governor radcliffe from pocahontas at 7 jafar from aladdin at six, Lady Tremaine from Cinderella. At, at six, Shan Zhu, is that, from Mulan. At, at four, Ursula from The Little Mermaid. Three, Scar from Lion King. Two, the Queen from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And uh, Mal- Maleficent, is it, from Sleeping Beauty. So that's enough to give any kids nightmares there. Okay, and um, I've just noticed at the bottom of that page they've got another list which I will put the link in after we've heard from Mark, and that is Top 10 Badass Movie Villains. So I will read that out after we've gone to Mark. Mark. Hello. Um, yeah, that, that segues quite, the, the children's thing segues quite nicely to something I wanted to mention, which is, I was thinking back to what I really, really was scared by when I was a kid in a villain. And the one that came to mind straight away was the child catcher out of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, if anyone knows that character. And that's a genuinely chilling guy. It's not quite your classic kind of film or TV or fictional villain, but if you're talking about the sheer scare factor, I know that that, I've talked to many kids, and that is the character that really... Uh, really uh, sort of uh, scares people. And the film is played by a guy called Sir Robert Heltman, who was actually a ballet dancer. And he moves scarily. You know, he's fantastic. That's one. Can I mention a couple of other quick, quick ones? Uh, yes, uh, certainly, really yeah. contrasting ones? Okay, yeah. a couple of contrasting ones. One is uh, that I'm surprised uh, it doesn't come up on any of those lists, 
is uh, Dr. Evil from Austin Powers. Because he incorporates in himself all of those other characters from, you know, the Bond films especially, but all sorts of those other films as well. And uh, I think he's kind of um, a genius creation, Mike Myers. I mean, absolute genius. And a third one I throw in, probably completely from left field, would be, um, goes right back to the early 50s. Um, there's one of those great old sort of biblical epics they're called Quo Vadis and uh, the Emperor Nero in that is played by Peter Ustinov you know one of those great mm. character actors my goodness he is dripping with evil in that film I mean you know you see him at uh, the you know the Christians being thrown to the lions and you see him just sitting up in his box just relishing seeing the, the, the kind of the barbarism that's going on beneath him. And then these scenes are sort of cut in with him doing things like kind of doing this sort of uh, feasting and, and getting drunk. And, and of course, it, it wouldn't work if it wasn't used enough. He is brilliant. And then about 20, 30 years later, I'm trying to think exactly what the dating is, but in, I'm sorry, this is my own sort of... Uh, uh, background coming out here but um, <laughs> the Zeffirelli film um, Jesus of Nazareth from 77 which is shown on ITV Peter Ustinov plays Herod the Great and he plays totally different from the way that he does Nero but he's still dripping with evil he's much older now but he has that sort of sense and he's much fatter now and he's got that sort of he just sits there feasting and being complacent and you know oozing with contempt for humanity you know and i suppose the great thing about both the nero one and the king herod one is that they are taken from real great villains of the past you know, who actually are based on uh, in some senses historical characters but where fiction has kind of enjoyed taking the historical character and doing things with them so that'd be my three contrasting suggestions yeah, he plays Actually, four, the usual one. Okay, go on. No, so yeah. I just realised that I've done four because two of them are Peter Ustinov. That's partly because I just love Peter Ustinov, but yeah. Yeah, yeah I think that when he plays Nero, he, he's, he's very effete sometimes. So yes. he's sitting there yes. very... And then suddenly, like a, 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 a child having a, a, a temper fit, a tantrum, you know, it suddenly uh, it'd change on a dime, wouldn't he? Um, yes, absolutely. In, yes. in that character, I'm not having my go yet. I'm throwing the next one here. Uh, was the uh, if you ever saw I Claudius, uh, John yes. Hurt playing um, the one that uh, that was eating Caligula. His... Caligula. Oh, actually, no, Caligula. Is, yeah, yes. Who did he play? Yes, Caligula is the yeah. um, is played by Jacoby, isn't it? Derek Jacoby, the master. <laughs> and, and, and Claudius yeah, is Cla- Claudius is played by Claudius Jacobi. is 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 Jack- Jacobi, isn't it? Like yeah, it's John, John, John Hurt who played Caligula. Yeah, uh, Caligula. I mean, he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, and there's this one scene where I think he's married to his wife or whatever, and he gets this thing that um, uh, he's so great a god that any child they have will be will even greater than him. So he can't mm-hmm. have that threat. I hope this is not a spoiler to anybody, but uh, he basically. <laughs> goes into this room where she's in the bedroom and she's all drugged up and he goes up to her and he's got this knife in his hand and he says, it's his sister, is it? Thanks, Bob. And he says, I'm so sorry, but we must do it. And Well, I won't say any more because this is a, a family-friendly thing, but that was one of the most frightening things I'd ever seen on TV and most evil things that he did. 
unbelievable. Uh, mm. So, yeah. Okay, I said uh, I put the list in that uh, hopefully people have had a time to peruse. Again, from Listverse, and this is um, Top 10 Badass Movie Villains. And just looking at this, although I was listening to every word you said, uh, I was listening to uh, some frightening ones here, but let's go through them. Uh, uh, Mrs. Elslin, is that? Played by uh, Angela uh, Lansbury. I'm assuming that's the name of the film, but I don't remember it. Uh, Sergeant Alonzo Harris, Denzel, Denzel Washington. Uh, now, it's not giving the film titles. Is Actually, it? Dave, the Angela Lansbury thing yeah. is almost certainly Manchurian Candidate. Ah. Oh, excellent. Well, if you know any of the others, please jump in. Uh, the Sergeant Alonzo Harris, that's, um, that's not bad lieutenant, is it? Can't be. That's um, Anybody got this page up knows which that move is from? a bit of a quiz this well I'll go I know the next one this one's the one that really got me Daniel Plainview by Daniel Day-Lewis um, now um, is that the that's the um, the oil one isn't it um, oh good god David I had it in my head a minute ago the oil drill there one. will be blood Dave there will be blood and I haven't just, seen it myself but I've seen a few clips of it uh, and the other one that Daniel Day-Lewis played was when he played the butcher in um, the gang war one. Again, anybody can remember that one? Gangs of New York. Gangs of New York. Daniel Day-Lewis is the butcher in that. He was, oh, he was really evil. I perhaps I shouldn't have done this list because they don't tell you the films. Archibald Cunningham, played by Tim Roth. Um, again, I don't know the name of that film. Next one, Tony Montana, Al Pacino. That's from Scarface, must be. Uh, which is, uh, you know, classic by many people's uh, reckoning. Uh, and the next one, number five, Don Logan to Ben Kingsley. And that's the, um, oh, um, the one where he plays an absolute nutter. Um Oh, dear me, come on, anybody help me with that? That's the one where he goes to bring this uh, bloke to play, to come back into gangland. It starts where the bloke's on a lie bed on the, his, uh, in his swimming pool and a great um, rock rolls down, nearly kills him. He's a retired thing. Oh, dear David. Uh, this, by the way, I, I should just say that you... I only found this page when we were looking at the other one. Uh, that's why I haven't researched it. But everybody must know that film. It's where he has his dark glasses on, right? At the I, don't, I don't know that film, Dave, but looking at the photo of Ben Kingsley, that, that's the villain in the movie Sexy Beast. Sexy Beast, that's it. Sexy which, Beast, brilliant, which, brilliant, brilliant. Which yeah. is a kind of a movie about bad people anyway, because the central character in it is uh, a British gangster who's escaped to the sort of Costa del Crime. Yeah. And Ben Kingsley plays this kind of evil crime lord and he wants him to, like, come Do out of retirement job. for yeah. one last job. And it's the nastiest piece of work I've ever seen Ben Kingsley play. He's horribly unlikable in it, which I guess was the idea. Yeah, it, it was unbelievable, yeah. Well, oh, and there's... Num yeah. Uh, number four is Bill the Butcher Cutting uh, from the Gangs of New York at number four. Unbelievable. Uh, number three, Darth Vader. 
Now guessing which franchise that's from. Number two, Hannibal, Dr. Hannibal Lecter, played by Anthony Hopkins. And at number one, they've got Heath Ledger playing the Joker from uh, uh, The Dark Knight. So um, that may just inspire one or two other people. Now, um, uh, Darth, I think if you're ready to go, we're up to hear your comments. All right, then. Um, hmm. I, I guess I'm sort of a traditionalist. I, I don't really recognize anything from that list. I wouldn't even call Darth Vader, you know. I mean, Darth Vader's the hero of the story, so... I, I uh, well, I, yes, I, I've, and I remember you saying that before. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, it's arguable, certainly. Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, the Emperor is clearly the, the baddie, and one of the best baddies that's ever been created, I think. Um and and that is to me the virtue of the prequel trilogies is the fleshing out of that character. I love characters who appear one way, but actually have uh, an entirely darker uh, dimension underneath. So you know, throughout the prequel trilogy, you get a you know the emperor being the public face of I mean sorry the chancellor being the public face of the emperor, and you know every line that he says can be taken apart. And misread and and read a totally different way. It's not that he ever lies. It's just that he says things so precisely um, that you really have to listen to understand the full import of what he's saying. And I love that kind of character, which is probably why I think that one of the best villains too is um, Kai Wen from uh, uh, Deep Space Nine, played by Louise Fletcher. Um, lovely, beautiful rich character um just you know full of hypocrisy and uh, venom and overt politeness and just just a wonderful character to watch progress uh, throughout that series starting as somewhat inconsequential and becoming really the the most consequential character by the final episode uh just glorious exploration and i have to also say that Another Star Trek villain, uh, Khan, has got to be up there. I mean, they, oh, yeah. I mean, Star Trek has always been trying to find another villain as good as Khan in the movies. I think that they've yeah. succeeded in television. I think that Kai Wen absolutely is an equal. I think that you know Gold Dukat is also sort of an equal in, in Deep Space Nine, where they were really trying to you know tell a, a narrative story across several different seasons. But in the movies, they've never done better than Khan ever. And and I would argue, even within the original series, there's probably not a better villain than Khan. Uh, he's just, you know, a lot of it is Ricardo Montalban taking the deliberate actor's choice of never raising his voice except on a few occasions. And that's what makes him so frightening, is that on the surface he's very calm, he's very collected, but then when he really gets mad... He doesn't have to do much, and you know that he is going to, you know, screw you up. And, and it was so intelligently written as well, wasn't it? I mean, uh, uh, the boardroom meeting where Spock's probing him and the captain's listening on the TV, what I mean I'm talking about, and right. you know, the so tactics he, yeah. that are used and uh, the way he gets that uh, girl to, uh, you know, offer, offer herself to help him. I mean, uh, I mean, it yeah. was a masterly, uh, what's the word? 
um, well-drawn character. It was, and um, you know, it, it's really sad that Ricardo Montalban is known mainly for Fantasy Island because you know, not only is this part great, but he's got some fabulous things well before Fantasy Island. Um, he, he's a very, very good actor that doesn't get nearly the kind of respect for his acting that uh, he deserves to get. But uh, those, I guess, would be. Oh, and then the operative in Serenity. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Play, played by your next Doctor Who, if I have anything to do about it, which I'll lead you for. Um, he's just, again, calm, collected, reasonable, believes that he's in the right. He's yeah. just gorgeous as a, as an villain. I, I just love that kind of villain. I don't I don't need histrionics. I don't even need overt displays of evil. I need somebody then that's why Darth Vader doesn't work for me as a as a villain. Not only because we know that he's actually the hero of the beast and we've known that since you know, nineteen eighty two. But because he's so I mean he's dressed in black for God's sake. How much more do you need to know that he is a villain? he's so obviously a villain. Whereas, you know, you get somebody like the operative to come in there. He's smooth. He is representing the, um, you know, the winning side of the war um, that is in that particular universe. So why would he possibly be the enemy? He he doesn't fit the mold of the enemy, but yet he is because our heroes are on the wrong side of the law. Um, so, I don't know. Uh, those Those are my four nominees. Okay. Well, uh, since uh, we, I mean, I've got lots of clips here. Nobody's mentioned anything really that I want to play, but uh, since it's my go, I'll mention one of mine, and um, it's from Blake Seven. I just love Servalan as uh, an evil person, and uh, here's a little bit where she's uh, offering uh, to join forces with Avon. You really think you can duplicate the Liberator? I've assembled a team of scientists who are sure they can. In fact, they stake their lives on it. And with a fleet like that, I can unite and rule as nobody has ever ruled before. What if the crew won't obey me? Oh, I don't think that's likely. I have Blake. I have you. Call the ship. I was right. I knew you'd never let Blake die. Death is something that he and I face together on a number of occasions. I always thought that his death and mine might be linked in some way. Liberator, this is Avon, do you read? Avon? Where are you? No questions. Just do as I tell you and do it immediately. Take the Liberator out of here. Maximum speed. Go and keep going. No! It's important, Villa. Do it now. You fool! Stop! You fool! I think negotiations have just been real. You know what? I, I want to go and watch Blake Seven after that. I just absolutely love it. Uh, let me um, just um, 
let me play uh, another one and this is a completely different genre and this is from uh, one of my uh, favorite hitchcock films uh, it's the rope and i'm sorry i can't remember the names of the actors although i think farley grange is one of them and this is uh, where james stewart is a professor and is going to this uh, party but these two guys were well, one who is really evil and the other is just misguided and weak-willed um decide to murder somebody but not because they want that person dead in any particular reason but just to prove that intellectually as villains they can get away with it they can do a crime and get away with it and this is the trailer for rope and that's not giving away the plot because the whole film starts like that you're told that they're the murderers at the beginning it's how the story plays out which makes up the film and here's a little clip I just think we ought to wait till after you graduate. I don't. I'll see you tonight at Brandon's party. Okay. That's the last time she ever saw him alive. And that's the last time you'll ever see him alive. What happened to David Kentley changed my life completely and the lives of seven others. Janet Walker, Henry Kentley, the boy's father, his aunt, Mrs. Atwater, his best friend, Kenneth Lawrence, a housekeeper named Mrs. Wilson, and the two who were responsible for everything, Brandon Shaw and Philip Morgan. and then uh, we'll go to that list that I've just put a link in uh, a short while ago. I'll repeat the link just in case anybody missed it. But um, uh, the other one is um, I love the Highlander series and uh, one of the ones from the actual film version uh, was The Kurgan. Now, it's a long clip, so I'll probably stop this um, before it gets to the, the end of it. Castagir is gone. Only you and I remain.
and I'll stop it there. Um, but no, the Kurgan was a, a very over-the-top character indeed. But the point he was he was supposed to be personify the the evil uh, nature. Of course, with the in the uh, Highlander universe, nearly all of the um, the bad immortals uh, had uh, surnames uh, with the letter K. A little bit like uh, in uh, in the Superman world, they all have uh, uh, first and second names with the same letter and so on. Okay, let's have a little look at that list that I've just uh, put in. And um, this is from Elistomania. Uh, and um, uh, elistomania.com forward slash juice forward slash the 10 most evil movie characters. And again, and then we'll go back round the room. Although um, uh, if anybody's dropped off audio, we'll obviously... Uh, have to skip them. Um, so Jeff, I think, just let me check. Uh, Jeff's audio's. Oh no, Jeff's th- there. It's uh, it's um, Mark that's dropped off audio. Anyway, here we go. At number one, Harry Powell, played by Robert Mitchum in Night, the Night of the Hunter. At two, uh, Frank uh, Henry Fonda, uh, Once Upon a Time in the West. Three, uh, Frank Boom played by Dennis Hopper in Blue Velvet. At four, General Miru, is it? George MacReady in Paths of Glory. At five, Antonia Salieri, played by F. Murray Abraham in Amadeus. At six, Captain Bly, played by Charles Lawton in Mutiny on the Bounty. Seven, Nurse Rachel Louise Fletcher, uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest. That's the girl who played the nurse, of course. There, the sister. Uh, Amon Goeth, is it? Uh, Ralph Fiennes from Schindler's List. That's the one who used to take pot shots uh, every morning uh, from his uh, office window. That awful thing. Nine. Hans Beckart, Peter Laurie in M. Uh, and number ten, Minnie. Castavelt is that, played by Ruth Gordon in Rosemary's Baby. Uh, and of course, when we go around to people in the room, uh, please feel free to uh, comment on any of these things that I've been reading out. Okay, so uh, Jeff, uh, any th- comments on what other people have suggested as it got you thinking again, or indeed any of these lists that we've already quoted from? And we're not hearing you. Are you self-muted? Well, it's strange that... Yes, uh, I, yes you... I was self-muted, Dave. And what was the question again? Uh, well, it, it was actually Jeff we're going to, but it, then I said Tim, but uh, just let me check and see if Jeff's still on mute. Jeff, can you hear us? Okay, Tim, will you go? We'll have to go back to Jeff again. He'll have to perhaps call in or something. Unless you stepped well, away from the mic. I don't don't have much to add on the core subject tonight, but um, I was just distracting myself with Siri on my new iPhone 4S, and so I thought, I wonder what happens if you ask a computer if it's evil. So I said to Siri, are you evil? And it just says, no comment. <laughs> you say to it, are you good? And it also says, no comment. So it doesn't actually know if it's evil or good. It's, it's entirely neutral. Oh, right. And, so, and um, well, we 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 could briefly touch on um, 
computers that go bad uh, or even technology that was built for good and goes bad and uh, I, I get a bit of I, I become a bit of a stuck record on this subject because no one's really made a movie like this in more recent years but I would uh, always say to people dust off or track down a copy of a movie called Demon Seed which is quite a long time ago it came out I think it was the early 70s and it's starts off being a movie about a guy that builds an artificially intelligent computer and by the end of the movie I won't go into too many details but the computer has built itself a robot fallen in love with the guy's wife and things go from bad to worse <laughs> we're a family show I won't go into details uh well, I've got something for you here which I'm typing into the room now because you say you've got um, uh, your iPhone, right? Um, mm. If you want to make your iPhone turn evil, type this in. And for those listening later, it's a, a short URL. It's bit, that's bit.ly forward slash capital W-I-N for win capital P7 demo and your iPhone will go to a um, Windows 7 demonstration and you will see what your phone would look like if it was running the Windows 7 mobile operating system. So you can turn your Apple iPhone evil that way. Oh, I'm just typing that in now, Dave. Okay, and 7th Doctor, how's your audio now? Jeff? Yeah, I'm here, Dave. Oh, really? I've really, been having trouble. I don't know why. Okay. Uh, uh, I don't we've think done you've a few got more that URL right, Dave, because Bitly says something's gone wrong here. Oh, Billy couldn't find the Bitly URL you clicked. Oh, right. Uh, you, you, have, you don't put it in, in your computer. You have to put it in on the phone. I did. Oh, right. Well, it was from Netscape. If you watched Click, um, the latest version of Click, uh, it's the next um, uh, webscape that uh, she puts in. I'm pretty sure it's uh, I've I've copied it correctly. So hmm. I'll, anyway, I'll have a look I, at I can't check website, that now. Dave. Yeah. Cheers. Okay, uh, Jeff. Um, with the list that we've gone, has that sort of prompted your memory, or do you want to comment on some of the other people's choices? I'll add to your own, of course. Well, another character that uh, that's really interested me um, over the years is from another series we haven't mentioned yet. It's Babylon 5, and that's uh, Alfred Bester. Uh, he's a uh, psychop uh, from the Psychor, and um, he he's played by uh, Walter. Kanin, who we all know as Chekhov from the original Star Trek series, and he obviously has a much different uh, characterization in this uh, show, uh, and he does things that are some people would consider evil, but he's um, really feeling uh, that he needs to do these things because uh, uh, he feels that he needs to protect his uh, brothers and sisters in the core, the, these um, telepaths. And he, he feels that there's a war coming between uh, humans and uh, regular humans and, and telepaths. And 
he's just doing what he's what he can to protect uh, the people around him, the people that uh, he feels that are family. Um, uh, just a really uh, deep character. Uh, very interesting how he interacts with the other main characters on the TV show, and, and I've always enjoyed uh, his uh, uh, his character. Right. Uh, I'm just answering something in text. It might well be Tim. I only saw that uh, uh, the shortened URL for that, um, so I don't know. Okay, uh, I, I've just been looking through my uh, links, and uh, there is actually a clip that I've got that uh, for one of the ones that Darth mentioned. And of course, that was Khan. So let me uh, get that clip out of the way, and uh, we'll carry on. Chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the Antares maelstrom and round Tardition's flames before I give him up. Whenever Star Trek, um, the Wrath of Khan is dis- is discussed, if it's in Second Life or any kind of chat room, you have to type Khan with lots of exclamation marks after it. It's just some <laughs> kind of rule with the internet. Right, right, right. Well, um, uh, Darth, uh, do you want to go uh, next again? Because uh, we've uh, uh, we've lost Mark of audio. Uh, so, um, are you okay to go next? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, we haven't really talked about, perhaps with good reason, we haven't explicitly talked about Bond villains at all, but of course, I I suppose Dr. Evil, as mentioned before, is a pastiche of Bond villains, and, you know, there's an extent to which they're not that, um, memorable in a way. Uh, individually, because they they have some of the same characteristics. Though I will say, uh, the most recent incarnation of Le Chiff that we saw in Casino Royale was pretty damn scary. Again, this is an, another uh, villain that is very calm and that occasionally loses it, and when he occasionally loses it, that's when you start to get scared about the character. Um, and, and that was a particularly interesting sort of villain, I suppose, because it you know, was one that really was just an economic villain. 
You know, I mean, the whole point of Le Chiff is that he's a guy who generally is in control of money on a very large scale and therefore can influence uh, the outcome of a lot of different things. Um, but, you know, he is desperate in the film Casino Royale because his fortune has been reversed recently, and if he doesn't get things going in the right direction for him, then he's going to be killed. Uh, so th- there is something very interesting about that particular performance. I suppose that there are other Bond villain performances that we remember. Well, I just put a list in the room there for people who are, sure. who are listening to this bit. Yeah. Um, there are other Bond villains that we might remember, but um, I don't know if even I would put them, you know, on my top list of villains. But they deserve to be mentioned. I mean, Scaramanga, and that is, um, you know. Probably the best thing about the man with the golden gun, um, unless you happen to be a Hervé Villages fan, I guess. But he, you know, that's one of the better Christopher Lee performances in a, you know, a wide release film. Um, it's it's not really a patch, maybe on Saruman, uh, but then again, in wide release, we didn't really get to see that much of Saruman. You had to buy the, the special event, uh, special edition of. Um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy to get the full Saruman effect. Um, but, you know, I suppose a lot of people do remember Goldfinger, um, even though that's a that's a weird combination of, you know, a Germanish, I think a German, maybe an Austrian actor, and somebody else doing the voice. Um, so, I mean, that, that certainly is... is someone is, else doing the voice. Yeah, yeah, he, he totally wasn't able to do the voice. He had incomprehensible English, apparently. Um, wow. Uh, but nevertheless, that is perhaps one of the most remembered villain lines of all time. You know, no, Mr. Bond, I expect you to die. Yeah. Is, is widely quoted as, you know, standard um, villain fare. But uh, not the voice of the actor involved, actually. Um, wow, didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. Um yeah there's and usually Rose you know, Clap. Uh, well Rose you know, Clap from, from, from Rush with Love. From Rush with Love. Yeah. Um also, and Robert and Shaw who played the uh the uh, the other hello old man, you know, he played the other mm-hmm. the killer. I can't remember the character's name. Right. The Robert Shaw actor. Yeah. You know but again I don't know, you know, if it's almost like it's a separate class unto itself, the Bond villain. Um, I don't know that, you know, from a, a uh, an acting standpoint or even a dramatic standpoint that Bond villains are necessarily great villains. They just are a, a special archetype. And I, I mean, that's obviously what the um, Dr. Evil character is playing off of, you know. So it's a, it's a recognizable archetype, but are any of the individual performances really up there among the screen greats? Probably not. Um, I think, you know, we, we haven't even mentioned at all films in which really the villain is the hero, you know, films that are turned upside down in terms of their morality. Like, for instance, um, you know, we've, we haven't really mentioned Marlon Brando in The Godfather. You know, he is the villain, but yet he's the titular character, too. 
Um, and he surely must be one of the greatest film villains of all time. But those films are written in such a way that you kind of don't, you think of him as the hero, you know? Um, and certainly you think of his son as the hero of Godfather 2, but he's not. You know, I mean, he's he is. He's on the path to the dark side, isn't he? Yeah, he's fully on the dark side. I mean, he's he's a sympathetic <laughs> character because in, you know he keeps going around saying, you know, I'm caught in this web, and you kind of understand that. But on the other hand, you kind of are like, why did you not just go to the police, go into witness protection, man up, do the right thing, turn all these people in, and you know. In the thing, you could if you had the power, if you really had the the strength of will to do it, you could probably do it. You might die, but you would change history, you know, forever if you did it. Um, but he doesn't, and you know, as we find out in the much poor Godfather Three, you know, he's still sort of in the thing decades later. Um, but still, I mean, those those two guys are are clearly among the best realized villains of all time because you know we do come to sympathize with them which is unusual and anytime that you come to sympathize with a villain and this is why i think khan is so good too is because you know he's a victim in a way he's a victim of having been uh, genetically altered and you know coming and and was raised in an environment where he he thought he was the king you know that was completely logical and he really believe that his way forward was the best way forward for mankind. So he doesn't understand now that he's come into the next century or even two centuries after that, you know, why things are so different and how he's out of step with what the current reality of the Federation is. Um, so he's caught in a, in an implacable situation. Um, yeah, I've got an, uh, another example of that. I think uh, to my understanding of where, where you're going, and that is uh, the Roy Batty character from Blade Runner, because it's actually the, the designer who's the baddie. Mm. Let me just play a clip. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams Glitter in the dark near the ten hours a gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like <coughs> tears in rain. Time. Stop it there because it's a rather long clip. But I mean, uh, they're being pursued because of uh, the fact that they've become uh, an embarrassment almost to think. But uh, again, like I said at the beginning, quite a lot of uh, ones like that are. Uh, it's the setup. When I mentioned, I think the Penguin from Batman, that um, you know, things early in their life have uh, 
Done, uh, done that. I, I mean, I don't know whether you want to continue on the vein you're on our, um, uh, our, like we said from James Bond, there are quite a number of these that you could say the same thing about from the Batman uh, universe, could you not? I mean, I suppose, uh, you know, a lot of people would uh, would say that the Academy Award for Heath Ledger would put the Joker up there. Um I I don't know. I've never particularly liked the Batman universe that much. So for me, although I recognize it as a, a feat of acting, I don't really care that much about the Joker, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure that some people would say definitely you got to put the Joker there. You might uh, you might put Catwoman somewhere in there, uh, though that's probably going more from the comics than from anything that's actually been seen on screen to date uh, since Catwoman took a pretty massive hit with the Halle Berry incarnation. Um, But, uh, yeah, I mean, we haven't even really touched any of the comic villains at all. Well, I've got one here, uh, which, well, I think it's a comic one. Um, uh, and I, I can't remember the, the the character's name actually, but it's from the film um, Unbreakable, where Bruce Willis plays uh, the character that's Unbreakable. But uh, so often with um, with I mean we might talk about evil twins towards the end, but where there's the um, the um, antithesis I can't even say antithesis of what he is, and we have the the other character who is entirely breakable, but. Um, the twist is, of course, is that um, it's not just the fact that one is unbreakable and one is breakable, but the one who is unbreakable tries to protect other people from harm, where the other one is basically his opposite. Uh, uh, let's just hear a clip of that. Hi. You're in the emergency room in the Philadelphia City Hospital. I'm ask you some questions. Where are you sitting on the train? Against the window. In the passenger car? Yes. You're certain you were in the passenger car? Yeah. Where are the other passengers? derailed took a curve too fast the second train collided with yours after it derailed the debris spread over one mile why are you looking at me like that there are two reasons why i'm looking at you like this one because it seems you aren't the only survivor of this train wreck and two Stop it there because uh, uh, that's just a trailer. But it's uh, actually Samuel L. Jackson that uh, that plays um, 
well, again, it's very always difficult doing these things without being spoiler to other series. So um, uh, very difficult to say more than that. Um, but I don't know whether that would you would class that as a comic book um, example or not, Darth. Yeah, sure. It is. Okay, and uh, I should just say to um, Jeff uh, now, uh, we've uh, uh, d- uh, and to our listeners, Tim's had to drop off. Uh, Mike's audio uh, has dropped off audio. So, uh, Jeff, you know, feel as though we we just talk as as and when we speak. Don't wait for your turn, please. There's just the three of us on audio now, and let me just mention another. Uh, well, unless is, is there any more comic book ones that you you can? I haven't actually got a list of them, comic book ones. Um, I shall just in fact let me play a, a little uh, another link. You mentioned the the Joker, so let me play a little clip of that while I see if I can find a list of comic book villains. Ah. Ah. Never start with the head. The victim gets all fuzzy. He can't feel the neck. See? You wanted me. Here I am. I wanted to see what you'd do. And you didn't disappoint. You let five people die. Then, you let Dent take your place. Even to a guy like me, that's cold. Where's Dent? Those mob fools want you gone so they can get back to the way things were. But I know the truth. There's no going back. You've changed things. Forever. Then why do you want to kill me? (laughs) I don't want to kill you. What would I do without you? Go back to ripping off mob dealers? No, no. No. No, you. You complete me. You're garbage. You kill us for money. Don't talk like one of them. You're not. Even if you'd like to be. To them, you're just a freak. Like me. They need you right now. When they don't, they'll cast you out. Like a leper. See, their morals, their code. It's a bad joke. You've dropped at the first sign of trouble. They're only as good as the world allows them to be. I'll show you. When the chips are down, these, uh, these civilized people, they'll eat each other. See, I'm not a monster. I'm just ahead of the curve. And I'll stop it there. Uh, I found a, a list of uh, comic book villains, but it's not actually evil, evil characters. And uh, it, just the thing where it said that I complete you, which uh, just uh, resonates with the the Unbreakable uh, two characters in Unbreakable. Okay, um, do either of you two guys want to make any comments where we are now or take us in a new direction before we go on to uh, another aspect of this, which is the sort of the, the having the evil twin uh, options that are often used in uh, this genre. Jeff, do you want to come in on any particular points? No, I, I, I don't, Dave. That's okay. You don't have. You don't feel as though you have to. I just, <laughs> I just don't want to feel as though you're, you're itching to jump in and, 
you know, because we're missing something so obvious that you've thought of, uh, and so on. No, no, I can't think of anything at this time, Dave. Uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity, though. Okay, and Darth? Um, you know, I guess I would... We, we haven't really... Um, mm, talk. I'll talk a little bit more about some comic book things to throw out there, because I think it would be remiss if we didn't, uh, you know, throw in people like Magneto. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, to in both the uh, comic book and the the later film adaptations are you know it's just one of the, the the better villains because again there's a complicated past there's a there's a rationale for that um, mm-hmm. you, you get a very nice um, origin story in the, the most recent X Men First Class movie um, you get hints of it during the, the sort of Patrick Stewart um, era of that franchise to really good creation. Um, some uh, we we haven't mentioned Lex Luthor at all, and that's you know a villain that's been with us for almost as long as the character of Superman himself. Mm-hmm. And um, there, are, uh, you know, Lex Luthor is very complicated in terms of his history because some of it's really good, some of it's really bad, some of it's really different you know sometimes he's portrayed as just a mad scientist sometimes he's portrayed as a uh, a scheming businessman which is maybe the incarnation we're most familiar with these days um it's, i for my money in smallville which is a show that both of you and i like mm-hmm. um i personally think i prefer his father to him in terms oh, of oh absolutely yeah uh, you know evil persona slippery stuff you know, especially as you know, there are many different sides to his father, and you know, some of them aren't played until the very last notes of the very last season, where you know, ostensibly that character's been killed off and gone for years, but he comes back and is just as gloriously evil as ever. Um, so, you know, we don't want to forget about like Sleuther. Um, you know, other people. We've not talked Dr. about Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty and things no, like that. We've really not talked about Sherlock Holmes and Moriarty. I think that that is a crap character. Uh, I, I have zero patience for Moriarty, just as I have zero patience for the Master in Doctor Who, um, who is you know sort of based on Moriarty and this idea of an equal but opposite. I think equal but opposite characters are stupid. I really do. It's such an easy thing to say. Just take, just give me the exact opposite of that character, and therefore he's your enemy. But that just doesn't play with me well at all. And that's why, you know, the Lex Luthor relationship is interesting. I mean, and and other, and you know, Khan is not the equal and opposite of Kirk. No. You know, um, and Scaramanga is not the equal and opposite of Bond. Uh, certainly, Le Chiffre is not the equal and opposite of Bond. Um, but it is be... used, I mean, it's it's factual to include it here in as much as uh, for, for many people, those, certainly, especially when a lot of the villains that we come across, and I think Mark said this earlier, that uh, mm-hmm. you, the, you, get, you see most of these when you're a younger person and perhaps less discerning of all these uh, character complications, not complications, um, in-depth characterizations. And so 
it's a, it's a simple shorthand in a way to introduce a character. You know that all your hero yeah. stands for. Well, this person is ditto but yeah. opposite. Uh, right. So uh, it just allows that shorthand. Uh, and I'm just um, uh, oh, I was just going to say that Willis girl would come on microphone, but uh, perhaps she's still trying to get on. So uh, we may go to her in a moment. But um, yeah, all right. Well, fair enough. Moriarty's not yours, but uh, I do feel as though there would be people that if we that hadn't at least got a mention that um, sure. that 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 would be something. Miss. I mean, uh, there are other all sorts of ones really, aren't they? Um, but I, I might have broken your train of thought, so I'll give you a chance to come back on that, and then I'll uh, mention some more. Right. Um... Well, um, it, it, again, with with comic characters, I think in particular, it's 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 difficult because you know if you are a big fan of comics, then you will typically have you know certain comics that you'll buy, and therefore you'll fall into just like on television, you know. You'll you'll follow certain shows over other shows, and therefore you'll you'll be more likely to be exposed to certain. Um, Characters and other, but you know, comics being relatively specialized these days and relatively expensive these days, you do have to make certain choices, and so therefore, you're you're going to find people who, you know, would be outraged at you know, not including some something like I don't know, Dark Side, a, a Superman hero, a Superman villain, or not including you know, Bullseye. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's hard to talk about universal enemies because comics is a relatively specialized thing. And I think that's why you see you know, characters like the Joker and Lex Luthor and Magneto and, well, you know, I would have said Magneto would have been relatively obscure up until the time of the X-Men movies. Mm. Um, whereas, you know, Lex Luthor, I mean, God, Lex Luthor's been in every incarnation of Superman ever, you know, going back to the radio show, going back to, you know, it's not exactly episode issue one of Action Comics, well, the first action, number one, but um, it, it it's around there. I mean, it's 39 or something like that. Um, so, you know, you got Lex Luthor there, you got Lex Luthor in... Lewis and Clark, you got Lex Luthor in The Adventures of Superman, in the Fleischman cartoons, in the radio program, in Smallville, in the first movie, in the most recent movie. Um, so Lex Luthor is a very prominent part of American culture and is seen as the you know number one Superman villain by oh, just about he everybody. Was, he was in every yeah. Superman film except for Superman 3. Right. Um, so it, it, he's absolutely prominent in a way that other villains aren't, but they shouldn't be classed as, I don't know what I'm trying to say exactly. He's just gotten a lot more media play than other villains that have equal status in other heroes' lexicons. Like, you know, Red Skull in... Uh, Captain America legacy. Well, he's got a little bit more prominence now that we've seen him in the most recent um, uh, yeah. the Captain America movie. Yeah, and, yeah. and Loki, you know, that we've seen in the Thor movie, 
has always been, you know, the the main antagonist in the in the Thor series, but you know, those series have not generally gotten Sinestro in Green Amer in Green uh, Lantern, number one villain there too. But because there's not been as much exposure, we don't really see them as being particularly, you know, major deals. But they are. I mean, it really, with comics, it just depends on what is your particular interest. What have you put your money into? You know, how many issues you have a particular run before you start to think, okay, this guy or girl or whatever is is a really big deal. Um, but... Of all of those, of all the comic here, probably the most interesting is Catwoman. I mean, really, seriously, she is... Because she plays both sides of the street, because there's, you know, in some cases... Um, well, certainly in the in the reboot of Catwoman that has just taken place in the DC Universe, she is explicitly sexually involved with uh, Bruce Wayne. Um, it's 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 a very interesting villain. You know, she's just take. Is she a villain? Is she not a villain? Is she just an anti-hero? What exactly is going on with her? The mystery surrounding Catwoman is one of the most interesting things that uh, has been in comics, certainly in the last oh thirty years, but most particularly in the last ten years. That character almost to make up for the abysmal uh, version that was in the film. Um, well, in her own film, I should say. Uh, yeah. The character has become explosively interesting on in comics themselves and is almost consistently one of the best reads that you'll, you'll find within comics just because I don't know why. I mean, just I, I really think it's that every comic creator has sort of jumped into that that uh, particular franchise and, and won't let it die just because of that terrible film. Right. Uh, um, and mm. I was going to go to Willisco, but she's having a little bit of trouble with the audio. But I mean, yeah, I mean, we go back, whether the cartoons or whether the comics, I'm not entirely sure because I get mixed up, but I mean, mm. you go all the way back to Ming the Merciless and uh, mm. in Dan Day, you had Mekon or whatever. No, sure. Yeah. Um, one of the ones that always confuses me is, uh, especially since I saw the second Fantastic Four movie, is um, the Silver Surfer, which seems to have a very big following in the States. Yet, on, uh, when I watched the first film, it appeared, at least to start with, that the Silver Surfer was, was if not evil, uh, forced into evil acts by some malevolent uh, entity. Uh, I mean, I don't know whether that was something that was just used in the film, or whether that was part of the, um, you know, the history of uh, the Silver Surfer. But I mean, th there are quite a lot like that. The, well, I mean, the Silver Surfer is is what the the harbinger of Galacticus, I think, in the original thing. Um, at some points in his history, yes, I mean, you've had a Silver Server comic in which he sort of is broken away from that, um, that the bonds or whatever. Uh, but yeah, originally, um, it, it's basically like, okay, he, he, he is not a villain, but um in his origin story i think you find out that he, he uh 
his home planet was beset by this, you know, evil super being known as Galacticus, and in order to protect his home planet, he had to agree to be the herald of Galacticus. So to work for Galacticus and to go forward on into different planets and say, you're about to get screwed right now because Galacticus is right behind me. Um and so eventually he breaks those bonds and becomes a free agent again and is, you know, a, a hero in his own right. Um, but, yeah, the the second Fantastic Four movie that we has been most recently made is accurate in its portrayal of Silver Surfer, more or less, as someone who appears to be working for the enemy. But they they don't really explain in great detail anything about the history of that character or that he's doing it, you know, because he's bound to the to Galacticus or whatever. Um but he's well, he's, definitely, he's not an evil he's not an evil, evil being. He's at best somebody who had to do some who had to work for an evil being in order to save other people. Uh, I was just pausing you there because you're breaking up somewhat uh, a minute. So just while we wait for that, uh, uh, because Logan was in the room before we started, he had to drop off and uh, he will no doubt catch this. Uh, I need to mention his favourite series, The Green Lantern. Uh, and I found a page here of uh, Green Lantern. It, well, it actually classes them as enemies more than villains. So I'm not aware of whether which of these is particularly seen as a, a real villain. Um there's the puppeteer, um, Sinestro. Sinestro is uh, the major one. Uh, right. Okay. Uh, for Logan's sake, I feel as I ought to uh, at least cover that. But there's the the list there. That's uh, using Wikipedia list of Green Lantern enemies. Um, if anybody else, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know. Whether... Yeah, I don't know what his favorite one is, but. Um... See, the other thing is you've got, um, you know, you've got the original Green Lantern and then you've got sort of the more modern Green Lantern, uh, you know, the Silver Age Green Lantern, Hal Jordan. Mm. Um, and I I don't know what he would consider to be his personal uh, he likes one. But, Hal, but, he likes Hal Jordan, yeah. Yeah, but definitely Sinestro is definitely enemy one. Um, but, I mean, I would I would imagine that he likes Star Sapphire. Two, who is um, sort of a the interesting thing about Star Sapphire is that that's the alter ego of Carol Ferris, who is the you know love interest of Hal Jordan. Um, it's a, it's sort of a weird, interesting sort of story where she unwittingly becomes this uh, evil being who has, who again has sort of a ring power, but sort of a purple ring kind of thing. Um, but it's it's a being that sort of infects her, and she doesn't know what's going on. It's a weird story, but it's, sort of, it's more complicated. But that Star Sapphire is definitely a big one for um, Hal Jordan. Um, I mean... There are other man manhunters in general, sort of. Doctor Polaris, back in the day, used to be one. Doctor Polaris, for some reason, DC loves these ice enemies. You know, they love Doctor Freeze or Mister Freeze, Doctor Polaris, uh, Captain Cold for the Flash. Um, it's it's like every single 
superhero has their own freeze enemy. I don't know why, but Dr. Polaris is definitely the Green Lantern freeze enemy. Um, and he was maybe more popular back in the day. But I don't know. I mean, their Tattoo Man is a big one from from more recently. Okay, well, let, let's stop there, unless there's anything you're desperate to say about it. Um, as I welcome Jiffy G7 into the room, uh, I've got this other list that I mentioned right at the beginning. Now, this 50 here, but this is uh, literature. We haven't, uh, I'm sort of sidestepping the evil twin bit because by um, we have mentioned it. I suppose if I want to mention a couple of others, I should mention uh, you know uh, law from uh, data and law from uh, Star Trek universe. But um, let me quickly go down this list, and uh, if anybody in the room and uh, those on mic as well uh, want to just ponder a little bit longer on any of these uh, I'll just read very quickly uh, 50 greatest villains in literature so I'll I'll pause after I've done a few and I'm just checking to see if we go um, I think we go down the list is um, at 50 Helena Grail from Farewell My Lovely uh, this is from literature remember so they may have been made into films but they're originally obviously from books at Steer Pike uh, uh, and uh, from Titus Goran and Gormenghast. Um, uh, Shia Khan from The Jungle Book. Long John Silver from Treasure Island. Moriarty from The Final Problem. Uh, the, the White Witch from Lion Witch, Witch and the Wardrobe. Milo Meinbender from Catch-22. Uh, Fred from The Handmaiden's Tale. Uh, Oh, just let me see where that audio is coming from. I'm just going to mute that a second. Uh, Grendel's mother from Beowulf. Um, O'Brien from 1984. Uh, Captain Hook from Peter and Wendy. Uh, Moby Dick from uh, from Moby Dick. Gil Martin from the Private Memoirs and Confessions uh, of a Justified Sinner. Uh, Sturth. Or a voyage to Ar Artuk. Oh, I can't even say that one. Articurus, that's a star, isn't it? Science fiction. The Judge from a Blood Meridian. I'm sorry I'm not reading the actual um, authors here, but it would take too long. Mrs. Coulter from his Dark Materials trilogy. Uh, that's uh, Philip Pullman in that case. Claire uh, Witty from Lolita. That's funny. You would have thought it would be the um, the uh, the chap who actually uh, takes on Lolita. You would have thought the um, the main man. Anyway, Count Fosco from the Woman in White. Senior Montanoni is it from the Mysteries of Udolfo? Tom Ripley from the Talented Mister Ripley. Uh, Bill Sykes from Oliver Twist. Um, the Marquis de Oh, I can't pronounce that from Les, Les, Liaisons des Dangerous. Sorry about this. Quilp from the Old Curiosity Shop. Alec d'Urberville from Tess of the d'Urbervilles. Oh, good God, I can't pronounce these. Kachukluk or something from Call of the Kachukluk, uh H.P. Lovecraft. Saren from Lord of the Rings. And that's 25 from Tolkien. Any of those 25 
need a mention, and I'll unmute Jeff again now. Darth, any of those that deserve a comment from you? Well, um, I don't know. Um, I, I can rip through the rest, so it's no diff I mean, we have in chat, G 7 is saying Sauron is their choice. Yeah. Fine. I don't know that Sauron... I've had a problem with Sauron, you know, the, the whole Lord of the Rings trilogy, because it's, it's never... Uh, I guess, you know what, I, I just realized I called Christopher Lee Sauron before. He's actually Sauron man, isn't he? Um, but, um, I mean, Sauron is just such a... Uh, Static enemy, right? I mean, you never really get to know. Um, some people might like that, I guess, but because Sauron is really just the eye. Um, I mean, it's it's more than that in the book, I suppose. I mean, it's more of a sense of you know all-encompassing dread or or whatever. But it's, I guess what I'm saying is, it's such a non-corporeal entity. It's hard for me to really get behind okay. that, but. People like that. Well, let me go that's down the he, list. Jeffrey then. G is saying, by the way, we should point out. Jeffrey G is saying that's why he's so effective is because he's non-corporeal, because he's you know all-encompassing, because he permeates the the the, the world, the Middle yeah. Earth, you know. And that fair enough, but it's it's still hard for me to. Find well, I suppose that's what it happens um, in Narnia, isn't it? Where you've got winters fallen because of the rule of the White Witch, sort of. Yeah, but the White Witch is still there. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Right, uh, let's go down then. Uh, Don Juan uh, from uh, El... Oh, dear me. I sh why did I start on this? can't even pronounce that. The Joker from Batman. Ernst Stavlis Blowfield from James Bond. Uh, Augustus uh, Melmott from The Way We Live Now. Anthony Trollope. Uh, Mr. Hyde from The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Edmund from King Lear, William Shakespeare. Mrs. Danvers from Rebecca uh, by Daphne du Maurier. Uh, Pat Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. Um, Ferdinand from The Duchess of Malfi. Uh, Svengali from Trilby, George du Maurier. Hannibal Lecter from The Red Dragon. Count Dracula from Dracula, Bram Stoker. Brabus from The Jew of Malta by uh, Christopher Marlowe, Pinky Brown from Brighton Rock, Graham Greene, uh, Vindice, is it, from The Revengers Tragedy, uh, Mr. Kurtz from The Heart of Darkness, Joseph Conrad, Claudius from Hamlet by William Shakespeare, Ambrosio from The Monk, M.G. Um, Lewis, uh, Robert, this is up to number six now, Robert Lovelace from Clarissa, Samuel Richardson, Voldemort, at number five from Harry Potter series by J.K. Rowling. Um, Aigo is it? Aigo from Othello by William Shakespeare. Uh, three, Cruella de Vil from The 101 Dalmatians. Uh, at number two, Samuel Whiskers from The Tale of Samuel Whiskers by Mitchell Spotter. <laughs> and um, at number one, Satan from Paradise Lost, John Milton. And... Uh, uh, some doctors uh, dropping off now. Uh, thank you for your participation. Anything you want to comment there before I just uh, go on a couple of things? Uh, I would agree. We Iago, love Iago. From, uh, yeah. 
Um, but um, I'm just looking, trying to hold on. Um, just oh, okay. That's all he says. Sorry, um, Jiffy G Seven is is going on a little bit more about Sauron. Throughout the book, the sense of dread for all is gradually built up, which makes it surprisingly effective. So there's more on the love for Sauron. Um, I, you know, we really haven't talked about Voldemort at all, which is kind of unusual because we did mm-hmm. devote so much time to Harry Potter. Uh, I I don't know. I At the end of the day, I'm not sure if I really think that was such a great character. It was it was okay. Um, well, I'll tell you what I've just read mm, in my paper, which mm, is to do with the movies. Actually, apparently mm, the uh, the uh, the filmmakers of the Harry Potter films are starting to something. This is sounds unbelievable. I think it's a a hundred million. I'm, I don't think I read it wrong. A hundred million pound campaign to try and get the last Harry Potter film uh, as many Oscars as it can. Uh, and in particular, you know, the, the actors, um, two of the actors, uh, the one that played uh, uh, Voldemort, um, Ray Fiennes. Ray Fiennes. But actually more people think that the, the best acting was by uh, Rick Wait, uh, Rick Waitman, Rick, yeah, Rick, who played the teacher, um, Alan Rickman. Not Rick oh, Waitman, he's the singer. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, 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 I'm thinking Rick Waitman's a blooming music and uh, uh, Alan Rickman uh, because of mm-hmm. because he has one of the the major again I don't want it's too spoilish I suppose most people say but uh, I couldn't believe that they're allowed to spend hundred million pound putting in oh, adverts yeah. and things to try and win an Oscars. Uh, it's, it seems like they're buying them. Okay, let me just have a little bit of whimsy here. Um, we said that there's some people that are evil simply because of what happened to them, but some people are evil just because that's what they are then meant to be. And here's a slightly whimsical one. It's death. There's a place you're always welcome That's as nice as it can be Everyone can get in Cause it's absolutely free That's death No need to take a breath Just lie around all day With not a single bill to pay Hooray, that's death No more sicknesses or flu If you've lived beyond your means, you can die beyond them too. Well, the greatest and the finest mm, have already died. Why not simply join them on the other side? That's death. Say farewell to all your bills. Rip up all your wills. Final pills. Amen. That's death. It- okay, uh, uh, somebody's asked me what it's from. I assume it's the, from the musical from the uh, Discworld series. Terry Pratchett, isn't it? I believe it is. I don't think it's from the... Uh, yeah, I think it's from the uh, 
the musical of Terry Pratchett. Um, but um, then there's the other type, and this is from Lord of the Rings again, is that um, a malevolent influence overtakes them. And that, of course, is the attraction of the ring. So here's a little bit with Gollum. We need must have the precious. They stole it from us. Sneaky little orbits. Wicked creatures first. And I'm going to stop that there and um, let me uh, just uh, do a few while we slightly have a pause. Uh, I'm trying to debate whether, with just the two of us in the room, whether we should uh, bring it to a close or go on to the evil twins aspect. Uh, here's another quite, um, well, actually, whether he's evil or not, if you think of him as being another human being, he, he certainly would be evil. But since he's not, and I'm talking about from the Matrix universe, Agent Smith. And again, I'll only play a short bit of this. I'd like to share a revelation that I've had during my time here. It came to me when I tried to classify your species. I realized that you're not actually mammals. Every mammal on this planet instinctively develops a natural equilibrium with the surrounding environment, but you humans do not. You move to an area and you multiply and multiply until every natural resource is consumed. And the only way you can survive is to spread to another area. And I'm going to stop it there. And... Um... Let me just uh, quickly check through my things. Uh, I don't know whether we... Darth, do, you, do, you, do we feel as though we ought to pursue evil twins? I'm going to end maybe very briefly on just mentioning a couple of uh, Doctor Who evil uh, people. I know you're not that keen on uh, things like the Master and so on, but um, we do like to at least touch base with Doctor Who. Um, I mean, the only the only evil twins really uh, I've got is um, there was the Dead Ringers series where you had um, the same actor playing two twins, and uh, then we had um, uh, Data and Law, um, and um, I'm trying to think. Oh, I've just found another one that I was going to mention, and that is again I'm going to play this next one. Um, this is I'm not going to give any secrets away about this so I'm going to be trying um, non-committal in the series Ashes uh, to Ashes uh, there's a character called Ray Keats who is the bane of uh, uh, Gene Hunt's life um, because we're in the universe of um, uh, that started with life on Mars and then we had the spin-off Ashes to Ashes so we're in the 80s here uh, and we we're don't know whether we're back in time, whether we're somebody who is shot and suffering in a coma or whatever. But as I say, at the police station, uh, as well as Gene Hunt, the main uh, character, there is this Ray Keats character who, um, without going into um, the denouement of it, here is him where he's talking to Ray, one of the uh, 
uh, other policemen. Sergeant! <laughs> Heard you were an army man? No, not me. Army background? Well, it's wonderful. <laughs> Do you know what? I think you're a clever bloke. Oh, yeah. And how's that? Because you didn't follow your old man. You wanted to, though, didn't you? Because you didn't want to let him down, but you saw it wasn't for you, and do you know why? Because you're an independent thinker, Ray. Yeah, can make me on decisions. Yeah, that's why there's no shame in not following your dad. Because the army, oh, they'll knock that shit out of you. It's all shut up and follow orders. They're like your gov. But you, oh. You're a free mind. DCI Hunt doesn't really like that, does he? When he was out of the picture, you made DI. Yeah, I suppose I did. That's all right, it's not a trick. I'm just saying, if ever the police offer you the chance to move on from here and be your own man, don't balk at it. Gene Hunt is an amazing fella, amazing. But you don't need him. You won't be letting him down. Join you. Isn't that what you're saying? Wow. It's not like switching from City to United. We're all on the same team. And I'll stop it there. And one more click, uh, clip, and then uh, I'll go back to Darth before we perhaps finish on Dot 2. And that is um, uh, from um, Primeval, uh, which was another series I like. Uh, the main character was called Nick Cutter. Certainly, uh, early on, he was the main scientist. They were looking for these sort of portals which creatures from the past were coming through, and they were trying to understand this or whatever. But um, Nick Cutter had lost his wife some years ago, and um, during the course of the thing, she turns up, and she certainly seems to be somewhat dis, uh, uh, deranged, and in some ways seems to be trying to thwart everything they're doing and seems somewhat evil in her nature. And here's just a little short clip of that. Nick. The future is still more important than either of us. You really know how to pick your moments, don't you? If you see what I've seen, you'd understand. I'm sorry, Nick. I wish there was another way. You know what, Helen? You're not as smart as I thought you were. Okay, and there's lots more. I just mentioned, and I'm not going to play the clips now, but just mention them. Um, uh, I could have played a clip from The Shining, where, again, it's not so much an evil character, but somebody who's taken over by... Uh, uh, evil as it were and um, what else have I got um, uh, oh I can't remember what that clip is there uh, now I'm going to play it uh, obviously there's some ones from uh, horror genres of uh, you know Vincent Price and Peter Cushing and so on um, and basically um, let me have a look 
Uh, oh, and Jekyll, of course. Uh, we haven't done about evil twins, but one of the great uh, short series here in the UK was uh, Jekyll. Uh, do catch that if you can, uh, because, of course, that's a, a play on the Jekyll and Hyde, written by Stephen Moffat, um, and that was a brilliant piece of uh, work. We did commentaries on it on the Colton Collective. You can find those on zarban.com or indeed on our iTunes feed. But, um, uh, Darth, I, I suppose I ought to just ask you if you want to make any closing comments and if you feel as though you can bring yourself to mention any evil uh, character from Doctor Who, then please do so. And then uh, I think we'll pretty much wrap up. Okay, well, um, before we get too far away from the the whole evil twin thing, um, there are, you know, a, a number of different evil twins, and we're brought back to Star Trek, really. Um, not that Star Trek is the first place where evil twins were uh, propagated, but it, it seems to be a starting point for a lot of people's cultural memories that are alive today, uh, largely because of the... Uh, mirror mirror episode of Star Trek the original mm. series um, and we tend to associate uh, an evil twin with the wearing of a toupee that's a, a trope that we bring along with us and whenever we see some our, our regular hero in a toupee that I'm not toupee what am I saying a goatee <laughs> um, though you know William Shatner did wear a toupee for a long time anyway uh, anytime we see a goatee we, we tend to think oh well this is going to be an evil twin uh, and that comes largely from you know, Leonard Nimoy's wearing of a, a goatee and mirror mirror. But that whole thing sort of unexpectedly, that one episode unexpectedly brought, you know, an entire subgenre of Star Trek stories, largely thanks to Deep Space Nine, uh, that turned it into really a, a broad universe. Uh the the so called mirror mirror universe. And, you know, they had typically one story a season that was set in the Mirror Mirror universe, and then that was brought forward in Enterprise at least once. And that some of my favorite uh, Star Trek is set in the Mirror Mirror universe, and it's almost always really fun. I'm sure it was great for the actors to be able to sort of switch around and play something different. Um, it was, you know... Perhaps most effective in in Deep Space Nine, just because there was a a a, a set storyline that was developing in that alternate universe. Um, a lot of it having to do with Jake, Cisco, the captain's son, um, and it, it was just it was just great to see that whole thing take place. And all of those people, just about, uh, would have been evil twins, except of course for O'Brien, who's who's not an evil twin. He's a good twin, um, which is sort of... A, he's basically the same character in the um, alternate universe. I don't know if Colmini feels that he got gypped in that process as an actor, but certainly his is one of the most interesting characters in that uh, whole Mirror Mirror universe. But he made, he made up for it in Con Air. The yeah, part he played yeah. in Con Air. He played a right nasty so-and-so in that. Anyway. Right. Um, and we're being reminded in chat from Resident Alien that uh, there's a nice evil twin story in Prisoner, which we haven't really talked about at all. The Soid Man, true, fair enough. Um, and uh, the, the whole evil twin thing, you know, it really goes back a long time. It was a major staple of um, well, serials first in the in the black and white days, and in, in 
theater um, in theatrical releases, rather. And certainly is a huge part of comics. It's a huge part of soap operas. Um, if you follow anything, you probably do have your favorite evil twin. You just do, because it's such a staple of, of dramatic narrative these days, especially serial narrative, uh, that you got to have somebody. And that's really, if you think about it, that's really what the master is in Doctor Who. The master is the doctor's evil twin. And, you know, all this business that it has gone on for years about, you know, is the master just the doctor's brother? You know, that even being written into the narrative of uh, Last of the Time Lords and Sound of Drums. Uh, only to be dismissed as, you know, not the truth. Um, it, it still basically is the truth that the Master is effectively the Doctor's evil twin. And that's, t- to me, the evil twin thing is it's fun, but it is not ever going to produce a truly great villain. Really. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know it's somehow it's not real. It's not the person that you were looking for. <laughs> you know, it is a copy, and that's one of my beefs with the master. Because I, again, I think the master is essentially just the evil twin, and, or certainly has been written that way. And until we get people writing Doctor Who who were not part of, let's say, you know, fandom of the classic era. I don't think that we're going to get an interesting master. You know, the the master must be completely divorced from the doctor in order for the master to ever be interesting as a villain, to my mind. But, you know, there have been a a lot of villains in Doctor Who. I don't think any of them... I, I can't think of one off the top of my head that just stands out as being the best thing ever. Which is interesting because you you would tend to think that you know if you got fifty years of history, somebody in there has got to be uh, interesting. Otherwise, how did this show continue? But I think that the reason that Doctor Who has continued is largely on the strength of the performance of the Doctor and the companions, and not really so much on the basis of the enemies that they've opposed. It's a very odd series that way. Um, you know, you you can. Name ten Star Trek villains in your head, probably, or at least I can. Uh, but, you know, when I think about great, you know, I don't think the Daleks are that great. I don't think the Cybermen are, I think the Cybermen are worthless. The, the Zagor, what's he called? The Zagoroth, or whatever it's called. The the fourth Doctor story, you know, with the, the Mona Lisa. No, oh, no, no. Oh, 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 oh. With the Mona Lisa. The one oh, that crashed. Uh, death. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, what is the name of that? I totally forgotten. Um, yeah. But the the character played by oh my, I've totally forgotten his name now too. Yeah, with the with one eye. Yeah, the, the yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, I don't know if that is that really that interesting. I mean, I I I struggle to think of any single enemy that is really compellingly evil. A lot of Doctor Who is situational. A lot of it is, how do we get out of this particular trap? How do we, you know, um, overcome this technological obstacle? You know, uh, much of Doctor Who really has nothing to do with a particular villain. I mean, yes, okay, fine, you've got Davros is sort of in there, 
Um, and he's sort of interesting in Genesis. He's sort of interesting in, in maybe Journey's End, kind of. Um, but, you know, if you think about the... There's no there's no single figure for the Santarans, so they're just, you know, clones. Every time you see them, it doesn't matter who it is. Um, they basically don't have much of a personality, aside from maybe the comic Santaran that we got in uh, Good Men Goes to War, the Santaran nurse. But... Generally, you know, most of the major races don't really have that much of a face to them, so it's not it's not really about an individual enemy a lot of times in Doctor Who. I mean, I, I'll grant Harrison Chase, maybe, in Seeds of Doom. Okay. Oh, he, yes, he's, yeah. He's, he's sort of a strong, interesting, uh, but very Bondian. I mean, it's clear Bond ripoff. Um, yeah. But still, it's... It, it, that is a memorable sort of villain. You know, is, I don't know, Giuliano in um, Mask of Mandragora, is that interesting? Well, no, because, see, there's always, in Doctor Who, because they have to stretch it out over several episodes, it's never that there's one villain. There's, you know, in Mask of Mandragora, there's Giuliano, and then there's also, um, I guess, sorry, not Giuliano's uncle, who the hell that is. And then there's Hieronymus, you know, the seer that's in there that's, uh, you know, doing all these false predictions about when people are dying so that the, the uncle can go in and kill them. That's the thing. A lot of times in Doctor Who, you have, you either have armies of enemies, so you got, you know, a lot of Daleks or a lot of Cybermen or a lot of Zontarans, or you have sort of a double act, um, you know, where you have one enemy for maybe the first two episodes and another enemy for the last two episodes. Like in, um, um, there's Madame Cordovian, isn't there from the eye, the eye patch lady from, from the more recent times. Yeah. But you know, the thing about it is she's turns out to be a subsidiary character too. You know, uh, I mean, is she really the deal? Is the silence that is the religion? Is that the deal? Or is it the silence? With a TS, the individual. Um, Mr. Finch know. from School Reunion, Anthony Head. Uh, by the way, it's Julian Glover in the City of Death. There you go, Julian Glover. Yeah. Um, yeah, but Mr. Finch, you know, okay, he is yeah. sort of, you know, he's the mouthpiece for the Grillotane, but at the end of the day, you still have more Grillotane. It's not just him. Um, it's th- there aren't too many cases where you just have a a straight up I am the bad guy I am one on one kind of with the doctor thing except in the case of the master and you know even then a lot of times the master is going to pair up with people like in Claws of Access like in Frontier in Space like in Planet of the Do- uh, I mean Frontier in Space and um, uh, I don't know even Castor Vava he's kind of kind of sort of pairing up with people Adric I guess becomes an enemy for that period of time um uh, so uh, Marvik Chen, what about Marvik Chen from the? But uh, the uh, all right, it's half destroyed. It's more than half destroyed. Uh, uh, you know, from Dalek's master plan, he is interesting, compelling in whatever you see him in. But again, he turns out not to be the bad guy. He turns out to you know he's in uh, being duped by the Daleks, just like uh, his that uh, actor Kevin Stoney's other character in um, oh. Um, 
the invasion, you know, he seems like he's the enemy in the invasion, but it's really, you know, the the Cybermen. And that, and that happens so much in Doctor Who. You need to have, you know, this sort of babushka uh, approach to villains where you've got one villain inside of the other villain inside of another villain because, you know, you're having to stretch it out for six weeks or, in in that case, 12 weeks, you know. Um, Charles Jack, Traumorgus from the... Again, who's the villain? <laughs> is Charles Jack... You know, yeah. is Sheriff Jack Ridley the villain? He's sort of... That's Caves of Androzani for our listeners. I'm sure they know. Right. Yeah. You know, so who the hell knows what's going on? It's always really difficult in Doctor Who just to find... And, 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 you know, by the time you get to John Nathan Turner's era, forget about it. I mean, it's sort of possible to say, okay, you know, Harrison Chase is the villain of... Seeds of Doom. That's actually really possible to say. That's easy. He is. That's it's an incredibly simple narrative structure, and so therefore that's one of the reasons that he's one of the strongest people. But by the time you get to the John Nathan Turner era, forget about it. By the time you get to the Seventh Doctor's era, especially forget about it because you've got all these different threads running through that never get any kind of resolution whatsoever, and so you're left in this fog of confusion over who is the villain, what are we, what are they trying to accomplish, how is the Doctor resisting that one person, you never know. It's just all over the place. Um, right. Well, but, just to go back to your yeah. reference about um, in the universes where you always have a, 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 a nice killer or a cold killer or whatever, uh, of course we had Kane in Dragonfire, that uh, bloke who lived in that cryogenic, Chamber or whatever it was. Yeah, but in Dragonfire, you do you get you got that, but you've also got, um, you know the um, oh the people who are sort of running the colony or or whatever on Dragonfire, and they're sort of officious people, and they're opposing the Doctor too. You know, yeah. so it's it's really it, it, you know when you watch a film like. Um, Batman, uh, Dark Knight. Okay, there are multiple, you know, the Scarecrow kind of comes back for a little bit, but that's sort of just to show you, you know what, he's not that big a deal. He's a pathetic character who's, you know, basically just a drug dealer, kind of, uh, and he's easily dispensed with after the first scene, and then it becomes the Joker. That is who your enemy is. And if you give an enemy like that, or Khan, or uh, whoever, a, a room to play with, they will just take the ball and they'll run with it as long as it's written well. And, you know, it's not that you always have to be, you know, just one character. You can you, you can have two, two enemies or whatever, but one of them has to be clearly in charge. It has to be, or else the whole thing just narratively disappears, like Spider-Man 3. You know, Spider-Man 3, you got three villains. It's not really clear what the relation of those three villains are to each other, and so therefore none of them come across particularly well. I think it's the same thing in, you know, the other Batman series, the Tim Burton sort of series that he started, at least, and even Batman Returns. You know, it's too much to have Catwoman and the Penguin in that film. Uh, and, And having basically, you know, equal rights to it. Okay, well, there are a few people still in text, so uh, I'll hmm. just read um, uh, Willis Goes, put <laughs> the Candyman was diabolically evil. Um, 
the Merca were also <laughs> diabolically evil. Um, uh, I should also mention this uh, Henry Van Stratton, of course, uh, from the episode Dalek, and of course this Sutek from Pyramids of Mars. What I'm going to do is play my final clip, which is a very little bit, one of my favourite bits. Of course, Derek Jacobi, who'd been the Professor Yana, suddenly uh, realising what had happened, and uh, then I'll ask Dar for his closing comments, and I'll say thank you to all of those in the room. The Professor was an invention. So perfect a disguise that I forgot who I am. And who are you? I am the Master. <laughs> so I ended on that. So, Dart, uh, I... Um, Oh, hang on a minute. Let's just see if uh, Jeff has got his audio back. Jeff? Jeff? Oh, just one more time. Jeff, are you there? We're not hearing you. So uh, if uh, Dark, okay. you just want to close... Oh, oh, you're there. Good. You've yes, got I'm here. In. Um, I don't know how much you've heard or whether you had to move away from your PC for a while. I know you were off audio, but... Um, is there anything in the last session that you've just heard us talk about that you may want to comment on? Because we're pretty much coming to the end now. Um, I think you talked about some uh, double gangers. Uh, uh, double gangers, even. Evil double yeah. gangers. Yeah. yeah. Did you did you mention uh, the classic Star Trek episode with Kirk, where he yes. got split in be- into the okay. I, I didn't catch that. Uh, I assume that's that what I wanted to comment on. Yeah, Darth was, yeah, uh, basically no, saying that. That's, was, no, was that? that's not that's not Mirror Mirror. You're talking. Uh, oh, where we no, have the weak? Uh, is that where we have the weak one and the strong one? Basically, yeah, and and one's very diabolical and doing uh, evil things, and the other one is is weak and is uh, uh, can't make decisions and. Yeah, they did that in good uh, a comedy series I watch called Good Night Sweetheart, uh, where he goes through the portal and he got split up in that, uh, and that had uh, actually had I don't think it'll spoil it too much, but uh, perhaps I won't say, but he gets split up. Um, so yeah, um, and, and it, do you want to elaborate uh, any more just, on that? Or, yeah. Well, uh, it was it was just a uh, uh, very interesting uh, way of of doing that and splitting up the one character into two and you have one that's uh, very strong, very, um, very diabolical. He's going around and uh, hitting on the women, especially the uh, uh, Yeoman Rand. And it comes to a point where she has to scratch him on the face. And that's eventually how they identify one from the other. And, uh, and then, then you have the very weak Kirk that um, can't make decisions, and he's looked upon as the real captain for, for a while because they didn't know about the, the double, and they're just trying to figure out why why he can't make decisions, why he appears weak, and it turns out at the end that the that the strong one actually needs the weak one as well uh, to make a complete person and they're both dying from it and they have to figure out a way of combining the two back into one 
And it was just a very, very neat uh, character um, portrayal uh, of, of the character and how you need both sides of your personality for balance. Good, good. And I have, just before I go to both of you for closing remarks, I've just uh, realized I have gotten the clip. I had so many clips, and I've actually got more than this, but um, one that I did want to play, and I was going to play it when we got to the evil twin part, and that is I'm a big fan of Buffy, and one of the main very strong characters in Buffy is the Willow character who plays a witch. Um, but there is an evil villain. Uh, what happened is there was um, an episode where... Uh, Charisma Carpenter um, character playing um, playing uh, again a name in a minute. I can remember the actress's name, but anyway, the point is she, she there's there's an episode called The Wish where she wishes that Buffy had never come to um, uh, Sunnyvale, and um, during that course, there's actually obviously the the uh, people are being killed left, right, and centre, and Willow in that universe uh, was actually changed into a vampire. So in a later story, this evil Willow comes back. So here's the clip. Guess the rehab didn't take, huh? That's the way it goes sometimes. But I gotta say, I could feel you coming a mile away, the power you got. You know something, sweetness? I liked it. When you first came to me, you were just a little slip of a girl. Look at you now, so grown up. It's full of dark juice. And you still taste like strawberries. Only now. Stop it there. In actual fact, that's not the clip I thought I was going to play. Uh, that is not her um, vampire Willow. That is actual fact Willow when she goes to the dark side. So I apologise for that. It's about We've gone uh, two hours, 25 minutes before I made my first mistake. So that's pretty good. And the actress I was trying to think of was Cordelia Chase, played by Charisma Carpenter. But yeah, that was Eva Willow, where she actually turns to the dark side, as it was. Uh, that wasn't her alter ego twin one that had, it was actually a vampire willow um but of course there were you know seven seasons of that uh, so uh, easy mistake okay i think i better stop while i'm ahead if i'd have stopped five minutes earlier i would have gone through a faultless episode uh, let me just say before i ask those in the room and thank those in the room next week slightly unusual topic if this week wasn't already and that is collective collectibles and this uh, comes from a request that we had on our facebook fan page remember if you're on facebook put the search 
uh, in uh, for the Colton Collective uh, fan page, and you find us there. And it was by uh, Todd uh, Swartzberg. I think I've got his name right there. Facebook. His wife is um, really interested in Dot Two and is wondering about starting getting some collectibles. So um, basically, we want to raid the minds of people here. You know, what would you spend your hard-haired money on in the Doctor Who universe? Now, for many of us, and myself mostly included on that, it would be any money I have spare would go on buying the episodes, the DVDs or whatever. But uh, there are a number of people that like the character figures, posters, what have you. Hopefully, we'll we'll, uh, be able to carry a whole episode on that. Maybe... If um, we exhaust that fairly quickly, we will look at some other areas of fandom and other areas of collectibles. Uh, I mean, obviously, as Darth will probably tell us, it was Star Wars that was the first film that really got the merchandising uh, ball rolling, as it were. So um, I'm sure there's lots of things we can explore next week. But as we come up to the two-and-a-half-hour mark, I'm going to ask uh, Jeff and then Darth... uh, well, I'm actually going to thank them, and if they want to add anything at that point, they can do so. i just say goodbye, and then I will go through our uh, callers online. So, uh, Jeff, uh, thanks for being here with us today. Any final comments? Yeah, I just wanted uh, to tell you that my evil twin was the reason why the, the alarm went off in my house. So, <laughs> um but uh, thank you, Dave, for having the show today. I enjoyed it, and uh, looking forward to next week. And uh, uh, quick question: Do we know what we're going to be doing for the um, around the holidays? I know that uh, Christmas and New Year's are Sundays. Yeah, good question. Uh, this, and this, this que- time around. Yeah, this question was put on there. I haven't been able to speak to Ian, but I am going to speak to him later today. Uh, unfortunately. Um, well, not unfortunate, but Christmas Day and New Year's Day are both Sundays when, of course, we do these live shows. So I've got a feeling that we may actually skip a couple of weeks. Um, but what we may do is I may either put up, um, you know, um, some sort of uh, recap show or indeed it is possible that um, shortly after the Christmas episode has aired, it may well be we might do... A, an initial studio show about the Christmas episode, um, you know, on Skype. A few, uh, try and find a few people to gather together to do that. No promises about that. Uh, and then maybe um, early in the new year, have a collective uh, live show uh, slightly off time uh, to cover that. But um, with it being two Sundays, I don't think we will have a full program. Of course, there will be um, some special episodes going up uh, during the holidays. Look out for those on upcoming Thursdays between now and Christmas. So there will be plenty of things for you to listen to, if not things for you to actually join in with. Um, So, as I say, we we put um, uh, Colton Collective... Cultum uh, Collective Collectibles next week, and I've left the title of the week after empty because that if that is going to be our last episode of the year, we may do you know a, a review of 2011 or something on that nature. So um, if you do want to know, p- 
please do check the uh, Talk to You site. Our Talk to You ID is 54821, and uh, that will be updated as soon as we possibly will now. Okay, so thanks, uh, Jeff. Uh, and Darth, any closing comments? And uh, thank you very much. No, thank you, Dave. And I guess we'll see you next week. Yep, we'll definitely be here next week and the week after. It gets a little bit hazy after that. Okay, well, thank you, guys. And, of course, we've had a lot more than those people. And I'm going to just read the names, whether they're on audio, sorry, just in the room now, or whether they've already dropped off. And that is uh, Willis Girl, uh, Resident Alien, uh, Jiffy G7, uh, Knight Randall Thor, Tim Jury, uh, Ed Clan of Chatlin, I think that is, Cool Guy, Cybob, Claude, Logan, Guests 12, 11 and 10. And with that, this is uh, Dave AC saying uh, thank you very much for listening and uh, catch us next time. Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.